Please pray with me. God of all the ages, God of all our moments, help us to be present to you and to know that you are always present to us. In the quiet of this hour, may we feel your presence and discover the hope to which you've called us. Take these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and make them acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I think that everyone encounters sooner or later experiences in your life when you know that you hang in in-between time. You all know what I'm talking about. You've been there. All that is known and familiar no longer exists, and what is unknown in what holds the future there is yet to be revealed. These are times of expectant waiting when you might feel frozen in mid-stride, caught up in uncertainty and anticipation. Any number of life experiences can bring this about. The sense of suspended animation, and it can last as short as that intake of breath between the moment when you know you've hurt yourself and you're not sure how badly or as long as the quest between losing an old job and discovering a new one, or the length of a summer between graduating from high school and beginning college, or the lifetime of courage between experiencing the loss of a loved one and discovering your identity as a survivor. This is the time between conception and birth, between the broken leg and the removal of the cast, between the biopsy and the prognosis, between the departure of one pastor and the arrival of the next. It's the hinge fulcrum swinging the door open to a new day. It's the threshold between the already come and the not yet done, between the time of Jesus' ascension and his return. On Easter Sunday, Jesus, after Easter Sunday, Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples. And on the 40th day, he lifted off like the very first astronaut to his heavenly father. Vamoost, sayonara, bye-bye. And he left the disciples and all of us looking up, wondering, what in the world do we do now? Listen for the way Luke tells the story in the Acts of the Apostles. This is the first chapter, first 11 verses. And today I'm reading from the Common English Bible. Listen for God's word to you. Theophilus, Luke addresses his account to a person named Theophilus, which literally means lover of God, could be you or me. And he says, the first scroll I wrote concerned everything Jesus did and taught, from the beginning right up to the day when he was taken up into heaven. Before he was taken up, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instructed the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed them that he was alive with many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, speaking to them about God's kingdom 
While they were eating together, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. He said, this is what you heard from me. John baptized with water, but in only a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a result, those who had gathered together asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel now? Jesus replied, it isn't for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. Rather, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. After Jesus had said these things, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going away and they were staring into heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood next to them and they said, Galileans, why are you standing here looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the disciples all standing around, mouths open, staring into the empty sky, wondering, what happened? Did you see that? Where did he go? And what now? These friends and followers of Jesus had already lived through Good Friday and had thought that was the end of their dire dream, their most, the dire end to their dreams. And then on Easter Sunday, they rejoiced that maybe, maybe now all their hopes and longings would be fulfilled. After they spent 40 days, the biblical time of preparation, 40 days with Jesus, now, surely now, the kingdom of Israel will be restored. Surely now everyone will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Surely now we will see all we have hoped to see. But then, in a gust of wind and a swirl of cloud, they were blown back into in-between time, left staring into the sky full of bewilderment, confusion, disorientation, standing around, mouths open, looking up. Many preachers on this Ascension Sunday will focus on the glorification and the exaltation of Jesus as he ascends to the heavens to take his place at the right hand of God, to be able to be ultimate victor over all that is unjust and violent and evil in this world. But you know, I find myself so much more fascinated by those disciples. <laughs> bereft and aghast, squinting up in the sunlight, wondering what in heaven's name just happened and who is going to tell us what to do now. But we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. In a sense, we live there. We hang in between as individuals, awaiting a decision, a doctor's report, a divorce decree, awaiting a birth, a baptism, a, a marriage, a death, a discovery. We hang in between as a nation, as a community, awaiting the next 
budget or health care plan, awaiting an end to senseless gun violence, awaiting a return to public decency. I think the COVID pandemic has only highlighted the reality that we are all in the midst of uncertainty on every front. The kind sociologists and historians have observed happen every 500 years. When seismic shifts occur in just about every sphere of life and the economic, political, cultural, and social structures that we knew how to rely on and navigate have disappeared and new ones are emerging faster than we can fathom. That is certainly true for religion, too, across the board. And of course, here, right at home, here at the Kirk, we hang between pastoral leadership. In the interim time, when the way it was no longer is, and what is about to come has yet to emerge. In any of these situations, Going back is not an option. It is not easy, though, to see how to go forward. The time in between the time is unsettling, it's disorienting, it's bewildering. You hang suspended between the disintegration of the world as you knew it and the emergence of something new, and no matter how you define it, in between time, is very, very uncomfortable for everyone. We all long to have Jesus back with us, don't we? Instructing us how to live, leading the way. We could use a few miracles here, bringing what was dead to life. But we can't. We can't because something vital and transformative happens in the in-between time. The truth is, the departure of Jesus was absolutely essential in order for the disciples to realize that they were called to become not disciples following Jesus and watching him do ministry, but disciples who knew that they were empowered to continue on and carry out his mission and his ministry in Jerusalem to the surrounding regions and to the very ends of the earth. Jesus had to go away in order for them to discover what Paul described to the Ephesians, the living hope to which you are called, the incredible riches of his inheritance among the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. That is the potential treasure to be found by those who are willing to engage the discomfort of in-between time. The disciples want to stay rooted to the spot, numb, in disbelief, staring into the vacant space left by Jesus. But the angels come along to say, what are you doing? Don't just stand there. Jesus is no longer here to preach the good news, heal the sick and feed the hungry. Now it's up to you. That mission is now owned by you to heal, to feed, to comfort, to confront in Jesus' name. Teach others to see the reign of God unfolding even now. So get your head out of the clouds and get on with it. 
I think this is a lesson we need to keep learning again and again and again. Teresa of Avila famously said it this way, Christ has no body on earth now but ours. No hands but ours, no feet but ours. Ours are the eyes with which to see the needs of the world. Ours are the hands with which to bless. Ours are the feet to carry the good news. This is the ascension story. Jesus has departed to make room for you to take up his ministry. So stop looking up and start looking out and around to see where God has called you to discover in this in-between time that you are the body of Christ. Recently, I read an article about a new members class held in another church. I think I've been in this class myself. A few folks attended the class, and it soon became clear to the pastor that the class was taking the form of an interview, and he was the interviewee. The potential new members had all sorts of questions about the church, what kind of services and programs would be provided, what kinds of things they might gain. Finally, somebody asked the question directly, why should we join? What's the church going to do for us? To which the pastor responded, what are you going to do for the church? And I understand a few of those folks left and never came back. But that pastor knew, as all pastors know, that the church is not the pastor. Mm -mm. The church is not the pastor. And of course, glorious as this is, the church is not the building either. The church is the people. Church happens when people realize that they have no power within themselves, but when they come together to believe and receive, then they can go out and offer to others the power that comes from God. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe, then this is the gift of the in-between time. This truth is illustrated in a real and dramatic way by the story of St. James-by-the-Sea, Episcopal Church in San Diego. It was established in the early 1990s, down on the main boulevard by the beach. By the 1950s, it had grown to be a thriving, lively, large congregation housed in a magnificent building at the top of Prospect Street. And of course, over the years, as has happened with many, many churches, the membership had dwindled and moved out to the outlying areas, leaving this congregation at its lowest point with a mere 65 members. The last pastor left to take on a call to a more vibrant congregation. And at the same time, a law was passed in San Diego that required all buildings to be brought up to the code for earthquake resistance no matter what their age. So this struggling congregation was hit with a bill for $5 million to make that happen. At this point, it seemed clear to the denomination that the church was done for. It certainly couldn't afford the building. It could barely scrape together enough money to attract a pastor. And it seemed clear that the glory days were gone and the future looked pretty bleak indeed.
So the diocese asked that small session to vote to dissolve itself. But after some time of prayer, this little gathering of believers realized that they were still called to minister. They were still disciples to carry on the mission in that place. They were inspired by the realization that they were in the midst of a potent in-between experience where they were invited to place their faith in the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so they began to meet weekly and began to study the scriptures together. They studied the lectionary texts each week so that they could preach the message to one another. They began to pray together about their financial difficulties so they could find a way to save the building they realized that there was still a vital and necessary need for the good news to be shared and to be served into the community around them. And so they began to go out into the streets to share it. And lo and behold, that little pastorless church began to grow. Those they ministered on the streets began to come in to worship. And they brought with them more need for more ministry and more people to do it. And each week, there were more folks in the sanctuary ministering to one another, sharing the gospel, praying for each other, offering each other love and support and community, and calling upon one another to do the work of Jesus Christ. Well, you can see it coming, can't you? That struggling congregation is today a vibrant, thriving church of over 700 members. They have a pastoral staff now, but it was in the in-between time when they hung suspended between the already done and the not yet come that this church discovered what discipleship is really all about, what faith, applied, lived faith is really all about. When Jesus departed into heaven, leaving his disciples without their shepherd. He did not leave them on their own. He gave them the promise that they too would be empowered, filled with the Holy Spirit, a mere 10 days later. That spirit would change them from fearful and confused into confident, effective witnesses for the life-giving power of God. The story is that this anxious and bewildered community had no power of its own. It possessed none, it could generate none for itself. It had no claim or cause for self-congratulation. And that the power that is given by God caused this fragile little community to have the energy and courage, imagination and resources disproportionate to its size. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Pentecost comes next week, the time when we remember that the Spirit is poured out upon all peoples and is at work in the world, is at loose in our own lives and is running wild and free through this very place. Indeed, as a church, as individuals, as people in the midst of all kinds of change underway in the world, 
We may all feel in one way or another that we are those disciples, caught by surprise at our change of status and left bereft by a departure of all we knew and loved and counted on. But our assurance in Christ is that in the darkness of disorientation, there shines a light of new direction. From the thrust of upheaval, hope springs forth, and out of the depths of loss, New life is waiting to be born. No matter what in-between time you may be encountering, may the very same words that Paul spoke to the Ephesians encourage you today. I pray, I do pray, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart, enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe? Amen.